Thank you for joining us for Friends and Followers, a podcast brought to you by the Seton Shrine, where stories of those who were inspired by Mother Seton's life and mission are shared. It is our hope that you might find inspiration as well, and a deeper understanding about who Elizabeth Nancy is. And you can subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes. We hope that you enjoyed them. Thank you. Okay. So we're going to continue with Richard. Okay. So welcome back, everyone, for part two of yes. Richard Bailey Seaton. Yeah. And I was just asking Lisa, like, where exactly we're starting from? Because I was so excited. Like, so we're at the point where Mother Seaton has died. And so what happened to Richard Bailey Seaton? And then she reminded me, no, no, no. There's all this history before that where, you know, again, yeah. we established that Richard Bailey Seaton kind of got himself coined as the wayward child. He was right. always quiet, but right. he wanted to be a farmer. It didn't yeah. exactly meet mom's expectation. Right. He seemed to be... Which I think he, that's that was his passion, I think. Yeah. We'll kind of see that moving forward a little bit, I think. But okay. let's get started. Okay. So he leaves Baltimore. Okay, wait, wait. How old is he now? 19. Okay, we're 19 years old. Now he's a young man. Right, and he leaves Baltimore because Mr. Tiernan's son-in-law is now working for the business, is what Elizabeth had initially thought. So I think okay. there could right. be more to She's it. She's working but... to making sure Richard Bailey, Seaton, as well as her, her other son, William, have employment. Right. Because, A, she's trying to avoid, well, no, William's already in the Navy. Right. In 1817, he hasn't left yet, but yeah, he's heading that way. He's heading so that he's way. pretty secure. Okay. Um, yeah. So, and I think, uh, you know, he's been in Baltimore. And remember, he wasn't writing her very much. Right. So she's a little worried. And he's coming into his manhood. And that, you know, 19 to 22 year old boys, mm-hmm. there's a lot that can happen there. With you know all I mean? of us moms, <laughs> even today, when right. it comes to right. the, that turning point of yeah. adulthood like what exactly are they going to do with they want lives? to make their own decisions yeah. and and all that but they so, want to make sure they secure their future right so he leaves there um and goes right to italy and that's in in september <clears throat> so um she writes julia her friend saying how william her other son had hastened to baltimore to see richard off um who had sailed uh, and you know, she's worried about him. She's like the poor fellow, you know, he's in no doubt feels um, everything through his tears and sobs. But she continues to say that now that Richard has left, we find when too late that the good and most respectable Mr. Tiernan, whose family he made his home, made no accounts of his expenses. And poor Dick, which she called him, not having the fortitude or good sense to keep himself in character of the son of a poor widow, spent not only the $200 Mr. Feliki had allowed him, but he had taken Kit's money that she had saved and had spent that and any money that Julia had sent him, he had spent that. So now she's kind of starting to see, um, you know, because she says that we are hurt and mortified that he should have played the fool that way. So, so now, he's running into money problems. Right. He and he's not in Italy now. Money yeah. yeah. And, and then it is not clear where his money's going. Yeah. What was he spending it on? Yeah. I think yeah. it's probably safe to assume that it might be bad deals to gambling. Right. Or drinking. Okay. And so I think, and now he's gone to Italy. Like she can't get a hold of him, you know, mm-hmm. and he doesn't write. 
So she's writing like post after post, no letters from our wild boy. So, you know, she's spending the next six months really worried about what is he doing? But she gets a letter in March of 1818 that Mr. Fuliki says that they're pleased with him. So she can kind of relax there, you know, and think, okay, he's doing better. Maybe this is what, what we needed was for him to go there, but she doesn't hear from him the entire summer. So she doesn't hear from him until August of 1818. And I think it's interesting because now it's been almost a year and, you know, and he's 20 now he's in Italy. Um, she already knows that he was starting to think he shouldn't be going to church. He didn't want to proclaim a faith. All of these things I'm sure are weighing on her. Um, and then we go into the following year and she still continues to not really hear from Right. Right. Um, now she hears sparsely, like she she got something in August. She doesn't get something to the following April of 1819, okay. where he says everything is fine, you know, and everything's going well, which she said, you know, she's hoping, she's hoping that this is, that is true. Um, again, you know, even Antonio is saying that things are very satisfactory, that things are going well. Um, Elizabeth chooses not to tell William or Richard that she's sick. Um, she just feels that they're too far away. There's nothing they can do anyway. No, I think that yeah. it's a natural reaction to not be a distraction or become a burden, you know, not adopt them in their plans. Right. So, makes sense. So she writes Antonio in April of 1820. So now he's been gone for, what, a year and a half, almost two years. Um, my ever dear Antonio, I long to hear that you are well, and the love of my heart can never grow cold to you and your dear family while it has a beat of life. Richard's last letter to us was in September six months ago. I cannot help but be a little anxious and praying very fervently that all may be well. So it's interesting to me because the previous letters that she's gotten has said that he's doing well, but I think it's just that mother's instinct. Well, if he's doing well, why am I not hearing from him more? I think she's gotten what, four letters in almost two years. So, and knowing what she knew now happened in Baltimore, mm -hmm. that doesn't seem. It's not adding up. So right. it's sort of like, you keep it short, you say everything well, but you said that over and over again, like you're trying to convince me. So yeah, I would say she would definitely listening to her motherly intuition. Right. So that was mother always knows April best. of 1820. She doesn't hear from Antonio until August. And what he writes is, um, this is okay. So just to clarify, August, 1820. Right. Okay. So this is kind of around the time when mother Seton gets caught into supposedly in a summer storm, she drenched head to right. toe. And, um, and now she's getting, these Bedridden. are when things she's are getting really, really getting ill. Like right. She's just kind of going downhill. Right. I mean, we're four months before, really, we're essentially, really, yeah. before she passes away. Uh, four to five months. Um, so he says, your son sailed a fortnight ago on board the American frigate, having been furnished by me the required money for his attendant passage home. So now all of a sudden she hears that he, he <laughs> sailed home two weeks ago. She hasn't heard from him. Like, where is he? And um, Antonio goes on to say that perhaps he would be better in your growing Navy service. So he's kind of trying to politely say to her that this did not work out yeah. and maybe it might do him some good to go in the Navy. Um, yeah. So, but he doesn't 
if I remember correctly, he finds himself in Virginia, though. Right. So yeah. actually, before she receives this letter from Antonio, mm -hmm. she's already heard that he's in, in Virginia. Virginia. Um, and she writes um, to um, General Goodloe Harper, and she says he wrote that he was in Norfolk, Virginia, in some difficulty with a protested bill. The frantic mother, not knowing whether he might be arrested or not, um, she writes this letter to General Harper um, and, and with Mother Seton's way. Like, you know, she's like, who can I venture to address but you at this moment of real distress? So, you know, that's hard to say no to someone <laughs> that kind of says that to you. Um, she asked to see what could be done for her son. And this is a time where it's kind of becoming obvious that Mother Seton is actually on her deathbed. Right. She is dying. She's not doing well at all. Right. Um, so I'm thinking like even um, kind of like being here, like here with everything that she, like knowing you're dying, you don't know when, and you have to get all these things in order here. Like, like remember she's writing letters to say, this is who I want to be in charge. This is, I want Rose White to come back. I want this to happen and that to happen and the students and she's feeling poorly. I mean, this affects your lungs. She's barely breathing. And yet Richard is like heavy on her mind. Well, I mean, she knows where William is because William is writing her. Mm -hmm. Catherine is by her bedside. Two other daughters have already died. Right. So, so, so if you think about it, it's what I think almost everyone that might be facing death, they're trying to get their affairs in order. They're trying to make sure everybody that they leave behind, and I say that with like quotes, finger quotes, um, it's going to be okay, going to be taken care of. So it makes sense that she's like a little distracted. I'm dying. I don't know where really where my son is. I hear this. I don't think he's doing well. Right, right. Yeah. But to me, it's interesting because like Antonio writes Elizabeth, but she's already heard from other people. And then she asked Robert Godot Harper to write Richard, but Richard has now written um, Mr. Harper and trying to explain. Um, so he writes him in October. And he said, to pretend, sir, to give account of my reasons for leaving Leghorn to you would be useless. Suffice it to say that religious matters were the principal causes of it. And then I have been in the wrong and acted imprudently, I candidly confess. And to pretend gazing my faults with excuses would be but to destroy the merit of confessing them. So he's kind of saying, we don't know exactly what happened in Italy because Antonio never explains Richard never really explains he just says that it has to do with religious matters so was it as simply as he didn't want to go to mass and Antonio was not going to put up with that or was there more to it right. um, I think it's interesting you know when Elizabeth sailed um, remember they went around um, Gibraltar I guess how you say it and they they didn't stop I don't think or maybe just to get supplies but somehow he ends up having a debt there so he must have stayed there um, for some time. He says that Mr. Feliki gave me $180 when I left, but having a year, a half year of expenses to pay, I had a surplus of 80. A mess bill for three doubloons um, left me with 30. And when with 30, I got stores to come to America. And upon arrival, I went into a miserable place to live where my expenses had been $22 for two months. So now he's short. And so he's basically asking him for money. 
asking him for money because he doesn't want to write to his mother to ask her right. for money because right. he he does know of her situation. So we're got right. around that mom is sick. Right. Right. So they there's suspicion that Harper did give him money with there being a deal um, that he come to see his mother. Now, disappointing to say, I actually found this letter at Baltimore, but they have yet to send it to me. So I want to see what's in that letter. It's the letter from Robert Goodloe Harper to Richard in November of 1820. So what did he write back to him? Because there's been this suspicion that he said to him, well, I'll give you money to pay your debt, but you need to go see your mother. Mm-hmm. So and he doesn't stay very long. Like we do know that he goes to his mother right. in December. Right now, he's definitely near death because we know that she dies January 4th. Right. Um, but he does not stay. And honestly, without, you know, again, with uh, with limited research myself on Richard Bailey's team, I do feel that he's an avoidance of the situation. And he never yeah. really addressed situations hands on. So, like, even though he's having debt issue, money issue, he still does not to get a handle right he doesn't yeah. try to correct or approve or put himself in a better position yeah. he just yeah. avoids it right. by either not writing or saying everything's good and then it turns out it's not good and then he's just going to the different people to then try to get them to help out because even Catherine helped him out again right yeah so. yeah and there's no like record of what he and Catherine and elizabeth say we do know that when he arrived here mother seaton was very, very ill. I mean, this is a few weeks before she dies. So she's very ill. What I think is interesting to your point of what you were saying, I think that was his character, like not to deal with things. And I think that that came with his grief as well. Because even when his sisters passed away, he didn't really deal with it very well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and by avoiding, which people do, people, sometimes people in grief, they just don't deal with it. And it's better for them to get away from the situation so they don't have to deal with it. So I do think that was part of his character. Can you fault him for that? I don't know, because everybody deals differently with grief. Right. And you really can't judge anyone well, not even on just how they grief, deal with it. But any stressful situations, right. like he just right. avoided it. Right. And so the sisters were upset. I mean, um, Cecilia Conway is there, and she she sees Richard with Elizabeth. Um, Cecilia remarks that Elizabeth, the poor heart, keenly left the pain of that last separation, um, was rather a pale description to how bitter that moment must have been. So for, I can't even imagine, can you imagine, like, we're familiar with the room she died in, like him walking out of that room the last time, knowing she'll never see him again. It's tough, you know. Um, And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. So, on January 4th. Richard is gone. Like he what traveled back to Virginia? Where did he go? Well, that's what we don't really know. We, we do know, know that all okay. of a sudden he's in New York okay. working on a family farm. So my guess is that he left here in Emmitsburg and made his way straight to New York. Okay. Where I mean he had like Elizabeth had seven half siblings. And okay. so some he, of them actually had passed away before her, but there was a lot of family. There's still family in New and York. And that's what he so ends he up doing. Attach himself to their family in right. New York. Um, so. It is interesting to note in her will, she um, leaves her boys just really basically all the love a mother can give. She doesn't leave them any money or any possessions. Um, well, she left everything to Catherine. Right. 
done right. I know that on my tour, when I'm working with my student tours, I try to explain why did her boys not receive anything from them, inherit anything, but Catherine did. And I kind of put it more into like, well, they were adults, they were supposed to be self-sufficient. And the girl, if you think in terms of like them being married off, Mm-hmm. they would be a dowry that would follow right. them right so i mean that's exactly that. it i mean we say it all the time like for uh in 1821 a woman that had no parents or was not married mm-hmm. she immediately became the responsibility of friends and family like she was not expected to hold a position or to hold mm-hmm. a job especially someone even though they had gone from wealth to poverty they still kind of were in that same social elite status and so Catherine would not have gotten a job and so to your point that's she needed something yeah and what's interesting is Catherine does get $2,500 right which was a lot of money then back then yeah so yeah she even has managed to save that right right and Father Dubois and um General Harper they immediately want to make sure that she does not give that money to Richard um he, you know, he had yet to find a career. What they do find, which I think is funny, we don't know the exact timeline of this, but all of a sudden they hear that he's he's going to marry, like he's decided that he's going to marry. We don't know who she is. Yeah. Okay. We don't know because who I she is. Gonna ask. So, um, so you know, Mother Stephen dies. Mm-hmm. Now the last will and testament mm-hmm. is distributed. Is there a response? from Richard about missing his mother's death? Because if you think about it, he just left pretty much. Yeah. Not that I've been able to find. Able to find. Um, I'm just very curious of what would have been his response. But then again, if his character's already that avoidant, well, he just right. went into the next thing. Let's go right. get married. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking back, like when Anna Maria died, he didn't even really deal with that. It's like when Richard was sick. So he immediately was like, okay, well, I'm not gonna deal with Anna Maria dying, let me, sit by rich um william's bedside mm-hmm. so it's like he just yeah you're to your point he just never he never dealt with any yeah. of the deaths and I he finds think. the next distraction right which right you're saying now is that he's planning to marry right huh. um which father dubois it's funny he writes um such a match will ruin will end in ruin for both parties he is bitterly upset that richard is even thinking about marrying um he it does say you know we did find that he does go to new york he is using not only his family but he's using kind of her um contacts her catholic contacts let's say in new york so he's he's appealing to everyone um he's working on the family farm he seems to really be enjoying that um but i do want to say yeah um about his marriage he says on the second of next february i shall take the fatal oath he told her of his marriage it will i hope render me happy but may make me eternally miserable it is an unsettling letter richard's lively prose skittering off in odd directions he acknowledged his own strangeness near its end he said he told catherine his sister i am a lonely miserable being but promise myself much happiness in February if the lunatic asylum does not bring me up. Twist this, then then. So Catherine, I mean, she's still feeling for her brother. Like she still really loves her brother. I think now she's taken on that worry that her mother had. Like, you know, what is this you're getting married? But it, what is Catherine to do? She can't do you anything. Know, she can't do anything. Right. She, um, she don't. She's, have, she, 
she's in her own journey right now too right. and trying to right. find herself and her footing without her mother yeah and so. father devon told her she had to leave here so she's like <laughs> she's in the mix yeah. of finding a home and finding a place to live so she can't help them so are we to my favorite point yet <laughs> Are we getting to the story now of really what happened with Richard? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it is, can I say it? Yeah. William is actually the one that helps him out. Right. His, his older brother, right. William Seaton the second, right. actually comes and gets him on a path. Right. He gets him to work on a Navy ship yep. as a civilian. As a civilian, yeah. The family's thinking, well, at least for the next three years, he'll have a place to sleep, he'll have food, he'll have clothing. And hopefully he won't mess it up. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and he gets to travel, mm -hmm. which he wanted to do. So they, he gets to travel quite a bit, um, almost for a year. He travels at sail on June of 1822. Um, they land in Africa of April of 1823. Okay, guys, this is my favorite part of the story because I actually just learned this part when we did the treasure exhibit. I yeah. really got to learn a little bit more of, well, you know, what happened to Richard Bailey Seaton. You know, right. he was a wayward child, and this is going to be a great story. So I'm going to let Lisa tell it <laughs> because she tells it very um, often in the exhibit. Yeah. So, so he's, they set sail, they go to Africa, they go to Liberia. Um, there's an American uh, colonization society colony there. Yeah, tell the story, Lisa. <laughs> Don't look at your notes. Um, so he, they're dealing with a sickness. They're dealing with an illness there, and Richard decides to stay. He really wants to help the people there. Um, he stays for a few months, and then he contracts the illness himself. And on sailing back to the United States in June of 1823, uh, he dies aboard ship. And so um, he's buried at sea. Yeah. But and, the kicker is, not the kicker, but what's really um, rewarding, I guess, is that he was the only one that volunteered right. to go to the shoreline, to this village, because no one else would. Right, because he of the sickness, in. which isn't that his mother? Exactly. Which we say, she stepped in. He stepped in. He and same up. thing his mother did, the same thing his grandfather did you know you help anyone that's in need and i especially want to point out that this was an american colonization colony which is former slaves that were sent back to africa and it was meant to reacclimate them to africa yeah. and you know the minister after richard dies the minister writes a letter to catherine and he says his open undisguised character the simplicity of his manners and the naive kindness of his heart had won perhaps further the affections of our black people than any other agent had ever done in so short a time. So again, remind that he was only there for a couple of months and these people that rightfully so did not really like white men. Um, he won their hearts and they fell in love with him again, mother seat, like you can see it. And how did that happen without her teaching him how to treat people? Like that had to come from her. It had to come from you her. Know. And it just like she's there mm -hmm. in spirit by his side. It's, right. It sounds to me like we don't have a whole lot of um, like letters or evidence to go by, like what exactly transpired. But it seemed to me that it's safe to assume that right. he did not think twice. He right. volunteered, right. didn't think twice about it. He knew what needed to be done. That's what Elizabeth did. 
Right. You know, his mother is in him. And he and and her. Yeah. And I just think of Catherine, like, being so worried about him and receiving this letter. I'm sure she was very sad that her brother had died. But finally, like, just just, really proving that he was a good person. Well, I thought what was endearing, if I remember correctly, what I read, and I'm not sure what letter this was, but doesn't she write back or she somehow documents that it, from that letter that the, the reverend wrote, it was, she got a sense of like, wow, like, it was like my, my brother was back. Right. My brother yes, got she back does to make his that comment. Self. She, she know, does make that comment met, that like he's, when he was a child. Yeah. She makes that comment that he's back yeah. and we, the Richard that we loved um, has come home or something. She says it really beautifully. And yeah. And I just think that even though she, I'm sure she was sad that he passed away, but it must have brought some peace, mm-hmm. some relief that that he did such a good thing. I mean, really more than her and William had done at this point, you know, he really shines. And, and it is sad that he passed away because you wonder what would have happened, you know. Would he have been able to finally, you know, face yeah. all the things that he avoided and actually become or put himself in a better place because like he said he like he even was getting ready to get married thinking that might make him happy but he knows that he's been turned right because it in should a way, be the next a step misery, a misery right. so but like for one you know i'm wondering if his work in africa might have shifted that around like no you can be happy there is happiness and there's peace in life yeah and he had to have been happy there helping them because they embraced him mm-hmm. so quickly, yeah. you know. And so he had to show them the, that love, you know. So I want to read just like one last thing. Robert Seaton, who was his nephew, summarizes in his book, um, Richard grew up a worthy young man and tenderly attached to his family. His love for his brother was remarkable and the most affectionate letters passed between them as long as they lived. He was a fine musician, inherited his father's Stradivarius violin, on which he played with great taste. He was also good with the flute. He was handsome, over six feet two, um, but a restless disposition, ever wanting to roam the world. And I do. I think that kind of fits him perfectly. I think that's that's nice that that's what his family thought of him. I mean, Robert Seaton never met his uncle. He died before he was born. But yet the family stories that were passed on was that he was this beautifully affectionate, tenderhearted man, you know, who cared deeply for his brother, William. And I think that we can also safely say that Elizabeth Ann Seaton rested peacefully because she was joined again with her son Richard Bailey. Can we remember ever since her husband died, that's always been a main concern for her. Am I going to be reunited in heaven? Right. Will they be in heaven? Right. And And I think she's that's why she's worried about Richard Bailey, because and he I think, was committing stuff. Yeah, and I think Richard is the perfect of all her five children to where that makes her the most relatable to people as a mother. Because we all have those moments where we think with our children, what's gonna become of them when I'm not here? Like are they gonna be able to survive without me? Are they gonna be good people without me? You know, and we all have that at some point or another, especially when our kids are at that age of 19 to 22 yeah. where they're making their decisions and you're kind of like, oh, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah. But they have to live. They have to make those mistakes. And, and I think that's where she resigned herself when she was dying. I think at that point, her whole devotion to the will of God, like 
I, I can't do anymore. I don't have the physical strength to do anymore. I have to give it up to you. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so that is I'm Richard. Sure <laughs> I so I hope I you guys enjoyed part two. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. And um, yeah, sorry I get so excited about <laughs> the story. Like yeah. it was just more towards the end because I think, you know, like you said, yeah. a lot of us could really I mean, die yeah. and not worry. So if I should die, could I have a 19-year-old? I have no idea where he's going in his life. You know, I thought he was going this way. Now he's back going this way. It's like, I mean, he's not in any trouble or something. Like, yeah, but it's worry. Job, it's just worry. But, you know. I yeah, you just worry. What um, happens if I'm not there? You know, and, it, and it is interesting because of her five children, which we've done now four of the five. Um, Rebecca will be coming up. But, um he's our favorite and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because we're moms and we just want to take care of him or yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but or that, um, there's hope. There's hope because yeah, hope. Yeah. I think that's what it is. I think that's how, you know, everybody keeps saying that we have been interviewed in the past. One of the common things that comes out is that is the friendship of Elizabeth. But I think on the other hand, Elizabeth can give us hope. Yeah. Knowing her story and then her children's stories, as well as some of her friends and the other sisters, like in a way it sort of gives us hope because Again, she's so relatable. Yeah. Their lives just parallel, even though it's two over two hundred years ago yeah. that she lived. Yeah, you know, so yeah, she's definitely relatable, especially yeah. to mothers. She, with each one of her kids, they were so different, and she dealt with everything so differently. You know, but they, they all followed her. Okay, right. thank you. Thank all you. Right. I look forward to Rebecca. Yeah. So. <laughs> Stay tuned for our Christmas podcast. Yes. So. Yes. All, all right. right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.